Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today, and I, I just want to welcome you here. Sometimes it takes guts to go to a church that's uh, in a gymnasium that's been converted and that floods and all the other different things. So if you're here for the first time and this is kind of a little bit different than your other experiences, or maybe you're not even a God believer, you are, if you're not a God believer, you are in the best church in, that you could possibly go to. I mean, I am, I am so serious. If you ever have questions about string theory, multiverses, um, evolution, and all that other stuff, that the problem of evil, let me just tell you, this church is very much involved in the conversation of helping you get through your doubts. I am a pastor who lives with doubts. I am constantly challenging the thoughts of my head and the thoughts of the things around us. So let me encourage you. You're in a really good and you're in a really safe place. Most of you probably don't know that today is Orphan Sunday. And in, to bring emphasis to that, we've invited the Bear Foundation, which does a lot of the foster care here in the Charleston area, are here today. They're in the back at our guest services and information booth to help you know a little bit more information on how you can get involved in the life of children, whether you want to foster care, whether you want to be a part of the adoption process. This is a great opportunity to have a conversation on how you can help and be a part of that solution here. So we're, we're talking about 25 days of, um, on the journey of thankfulness, and we're trying to figure out what it is that we can be thankful about, because life can be really difficult, it can be really challenging. Um, so we, we need to get into God's head a little bit, and, and maybe you're here and you think you know what God is thinking about the world, or you pretty much have summed up because of your life experiences or because maybe um, just because your per perception of God, of what's in the head of God. And isn't that what we're all struggling to try to figure out? It's like, I gotta get God in my head or I gotta get in God's head. What's he all about? So we have an opportunity in Isaiah 61 to kind of hear a conversation of God with himself. All right, it, it's kind of like God the Father talking to God the Son who we encounter is Jesus. So, so let me, I want you to hear with all your preconceptions, whether you've been raised Catholic or Jewish or atheist or whatever it is, I want to kind of just let, let you unlearn God and then maybe learn him maybe brand new the way that he presents himself. So here's what God wants to do in our, in our lives today. We're told that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and that's Jesus talking about the work of the Father in his life, because the Lord has anointed me to do what? to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God against all injustice, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, in God's people, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called, that you and I may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of God that he may be glorified, and that they may rebuild the old ruins, that you and I may be enabled to this work of God to begin to rebuild lives, rebuild our own lives, that we should raise up the former desolations 
and that we shall repair the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. God really wants to get into us. And, and I know that we want him to circumstantially change the universe. We know that we want God to fix everything. And that would be one way to solve the problem. But there's another way that can, the problem also can be directed and solved by the mind of God getting into us on how we live our lives. And so God wants to challenge our hearts so that we can see circumstances differently, so that we can work about raising back up our families, maybe fixing some of those relationships, beginning to see wholesomeness coming back to our lives and the world around us. So Christ did all this to bring, bring about a relationship with him that we may know him, that we may know freedom, that we may know purpose, that we may know joy, because God wants to heal our perspectives. Our little perspectives, and we talked about it last week, it's like a broken finger, that whatever you point to anything that hurts in your body and your finger's broken, everything will hurt. So you could point to any part of your body. If your finger's broken, you'll say, ouch, every time you point to everything if your finger's broken. So that when your perspective becomes broken, when we become jagged and rigid, when, when we have too much pain or we experience loss in our lives or we have self-hate going on inside of us or doubt or, or, or whatever, even bad religion in us, it breaks our perspective. And so God wants to fix that in us. He wants to change how we look at events. Um, see, life sucks over there. See, life stinks over here. See, look at this over here. And we can begin to, but if our pointer's broken, everything is going to hurt. We're not going to find satisfaction in any part of our lives. So for 25 days, I've kind of invited you to be a part of a journey of, of having God rebirth a thankful heart. I've gone through a lot of pain personally in my own life, and I have a, a serious back injury and uh, multiple ruptured discs in my back, and, and I've been dealing and, and navigating the pain of that every single day, and I spend every single day, I'm on a bed of ice just trying to get the pain to go away. And that personal life experience is kind of like, okay, God, I'd like you to fix this. And God's like, okay, that's one way we can go about this, but it's like, I could change your perspective. I mean, I mean, Instead of me removing the second law of thermal dynamics, entropy, I can, I can give you some sort of hope in the middle of this. And as I've been taking this journey with God, God's been restoring hope in me. I, I see myself as more than just somebody with a bad back, somebody that just has pain in my life. And so we talked last week about taking that first step onto the journey with God on the issue of prayer, asking God to help you see life the way he sees it to begin to heal your perspective, to ask God to, to help you see the, you the way that you need to see you. Because he could fix everything about you. But if your perspective remains skewed, it won't matter. You'll just find something else to point at that will cause you pain in your life. We ask that we'd step on that journey of prayer to ask God just to give us a new heart. And I'm like you. Well, maybe I'm not like you. I'm a coward. I don't like pain. I mean, and, and this has been the most uh, depressing, uh, I, I have never thought about ever taking my life before. In all of my life, I consider myself a very um, capable individual. In just three months, the level of depression has been so overwhelming, I could not believe this. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, this isn't me. Is, it, is this really the me that I got to live with for the rest of my life in pain? 
And in the middle of that, it was like either, either you end this or you got to get a new perspective about where you are in your life. And I know this church has never been quieter than it is at this particular moment. <laughs> and you, because you're like, wow, how could that happen to him? I should be inoculated from all depression, suicidal thoughts, and, and all the pain of the world because I'm a man of God. See, that's a broken perspective. That's just as messed up as some of the other thoughts that we have. But I have discovered a sense of renewal in my life with God like I've never found before. And it started because I decided to start praying and walking and asking God to make me see me differently. And I invited you last week to begin that journey, and, and, and I encourage you to stay on that journey so that God can give us a new perspective. But today we're going to kind of add something else to that story. We're going to continue our journey. I don't know if you've seen it, and you've got to have seen it, but the, one of the greatest movies ever made in history, it's not Ben-Hur, it's not Titanic, it's not Avatar, it's not the, 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 uh, the nine movies of Star Wars. It is the great and cinematic work known as Groundhog Day. Man, have you ever seen Groundhog Day? Oh, man, that thing is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. The acting is incredible. It stars Charleston's own Bill Murray. Um, it's a movie about a guy, and you probably, most of you have seen it. Uh, if you're a little older and you haven't, I mean, younger and you haven't seen it, you gotta, you gotta watch this movie. But it's about a guy who gets magically stuck in the same day over and over again. I mean, it happens over and over again, starting at the exact same time with the exact same song playing on the radio, and, and he lives the same day over and over again. Matter of fact, there are some nerds like myself that wanted to figure out how long he's actually in that. Do you know what? It's actually been calculated that he's in that same day for 33 years. Yeah, in order to learn the things that he learned, I don't want to spoil the movie for you. Um, but, uh, but the thing about this movie that really ministered to me, spoke God thoughts to me through a movie like that, that spoke to me is that he had three different responses to the repetition of his life, that cycle of life. He falls into this pit of despair, and you probably remember this, he, the whole clock scene where, you know, he wakes up every single day over and over again, and he just, that, anybody remember who it is that's singing the song? Let's hear it. Sonny and Cher, I've got you, babe. Over and over again, he goes through the same day. And he just repeats it over and over again. At 5.59, the clock flips over. He, and he gets into this place where he's just insane with this cycle and repetitive cycle about life. And he begins to smash the clock. But that's not how the movie ends. In the middle of this cycle of going over and over again, he, he's kind of discovered that he can stack the deck. That since he knows the events of what's going to take place, it's like, well, wait a minute, I can make this absolutely wonderful for myself by stacking the deck. And so we're about to see a scene where he wants this girl, okay? I mean, he's got a, he's got a, he wants this girl. So he's going to do whatever he can since the day repeats over and over again. He wants to position himself. He's going to stack the deck so that everything works out in his favor. Let's watch this thing. So 
What are the chances of getting out today? Van still won't start. Larry's working on it. Wouldn't you know it? Can I buy you a drink? Okay. Jim Beam, ice, water. For you, Miss. Sweet vermouth in the rocks with a twist, please. What are the chances of getting out of town today? The van still won't start. Larry's working on it. How oh, wouldn't you know it? Can I buy you a drink? Okay. Uh, sweet vermouth, rocks with a twist, please. For you, miss? The same. That's my favorite drink. Mine, too. It always makes me think of Rome, the way the sun hits the buildings in the afternoon. Huh. Well, what should we drink to? To the groundhog. I always drink to world peace. Can I buy you a drink? Okay. Uh, sweet vermouth, rocks with a twist, please. For you, miss? The same. That's my favorite drink. Mine, too. Mm. It always makes me think of Rome, the way the sun hits the buildings in the afternoon. Well, what should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. To world peace. World peace. I wish we could all live in the mountains at high altitude. That's where I see myself in five years. Mm. How about you? Oh, I agree. I just like to go with the flow, see where it leads me. What's well, led you here? Mm-hmm. Of course, it's about a million miles from where I started out in college. You weren't uh, in broadcasting or journalism? Mm-mm. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. I mean, for someone else, that would be an incredible waste of time. It's so bold of you to choose that. It's incredible. You must be a very, very strong person. Gosh, I wish we could all live in the mountains at high altitudes. That's where I see myself in five years. How about you? Oh, I agree. I just like to go with the flow. Yeah? See what happens. Well, it's gotten you here. Uh-huh. Of course, it's a million miles from where I started out in college. Oh, yeah? You weren't in broadcasting or journalism, anything like that? Uh-uh. Hmm. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimera sera comme bon fin. Que c'est bon fiera un peu chaque matin. You speak French. That is a different way to approach life right there. So you could smash the clock, or the process could be also that we just stack the deck. So we start stacking the deck so that he can figure out what's good about life. Because for a while we think that if I just please me, I, that's exactly where I'm going to be. That's what's going to make me happy. If I can, if I can still do the things that I want to do, it will all work out just perfectly. But you know what he discovers in this movie that that doesn't bring the fulfillment, it doesn't bring the thankfulness into his soul and into his life the way that we thought it would. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So he decides to take a different path. He decides to live in a new way. And he begins to participate and to serve into the lives of other people. Let's watch.
That was surprising. I didn't know you were so versatile. I surprise myself sometimes. Well, where are you going? Would you like to get a cup of coffee? I'd love to. Can I have a rain check? I've got some errands I've got to run. Okay? Phil? Errand? Errands? What errands? I thought we were going back. And the jack. Just be comfortable, all right? Give me a minute. Who's that? Busting from the motor club. Oh my god, he is having a heart attack. Do something. What can I do? Mom, Mom, Mom I don't think it's he's breathing. gonna eat steak. Get some sharper teeth, all right? <laughs> Enjoy your I really think, and this is going to be kind of a really strong thing to say, but I really think this is where we are in America. I think there is an obsession in America about infusing your life so that you can become your authentic self. That if you start with you, if you focus on you, and if you end with the best, best version of you, that you will somehow break this crazy cycle of fatalism that seems to be on humanity that we live our lives out over and over again. It's almost like we want to inoculate ourselves from pain or, or having to actually see that life continues to go the way that it always goes. That if I can create such a unique self inside of me that I won't be like all the other people that are on the planet, if I can avoid illness, if I can avoid debt, if I can avoid failure, if I can avoid dysfunction, that if I could do whatever it takes, that I will not have to live the life that the billions of other people on this planet have ever lived in the cycle of joy, the cycle of pain, the cycle of living, and the cycle of dying. And in America, we've kind of got this idea that if I can find the authentic me, the best version of me, that I will somehow break this cycle, that the clock will continue to move and go forward, and I won't even see the fact that we're all upon the same ship that heads to the same destination. We like to think that we're so unique that we break this cycle. And in America, what we do to try to change, to, to feel better about our lives is we, we change our jobs. 
We even change our genders in America. We change partners. We change our beliefs, all in search of authentic self that will fulfill us so that we will not be on the same boat as everybody else in life. And the crazy thing about this is it's not just we've, we're saying no to God. We're even saying no to science. It, it's, this is not like a, a, a postmodern mentality that we're going to focus on naturalism and we're going to only be thinking about a scientific remedy for, the, for humanity. We're not even looking at the data. We're not even looking at the facts of science, let alone theology. We're doing whatever it takes to find the authentic self, even if that means that I transition through life in ways that even life itself had not designed us to, to be in. And I know you're here if you're young and you're thinking, dang, I ran into a 60-year-old depressed guy. Well, first of all, I am not depressed. I am 60, but I am not depressed. Um, but I stand in a place on the journey that maybe that all of us can benefit from. Um, that we're all coming into our own. But your own, no matter if you're 22, whether you're 35, whether you're at that 42, and you're just like ready to take over the world, that your own is just like my own. And that my own is just like my parents' own. And that we are all part of a repeating cycle. And some of you have already seen it, and some of you have already seen it at a very young age. You're like, what the heck? Maybe you use other words. But you see the cycle of life and you're like, this is fatalistic. This is, why bother? This, is, this system is a closed system and then the clock just runs over and over again and, and we just, this is what we're stuck into. The dishes will have to be washed again. The kids will have to be bathed again. The bills will have to be paid again. How can you possibly be thankful if that's the kind of cycle that we're in? How can you find uniqueness in the middle of that? How can you celebrate when, when you're not the best version of yourself? You know, and so we get stuck in the middle of this, and we, and we have to respond to it. And I think Bill Murray's screenplay kind of works out the, the, the truth of God's word. I think it really does just kind of lay it out. We all respond in one of three ways. We, we have a choice on how we can respond to this. We can smash the clock. We can fall into the, the pit of despair. And maybe some of you are there right now. Everything is messed up. Everything, you can see everything wrong about life. And you're at a place where I have been in my own personal life where you just want to smash the clock. And I don't know how that plays out in your life, whether it is, is depression, whether it is taking your own life, whether it's just living a life of anarchy and skepticism. But for a lot of us, we have just decided that I will not, even though I'm stuck in this cycle, I will destroy the clock. And so we have to decide how we're going to respond. And Solomon found himself in the place of a clock smasher, a biblical guy who just kind of found himself as he began to add up how life went. Remember Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, uh, verse 2? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of all vanities. All is vanity. What does, it, what does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? 
A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. And when we stare at this, and if this is all that we stare at, it just becomes a rep repetition of life. And if we just continue to focus on the clock flipping over and over again, we come to a place, whether it's at 18, whether it's at 25, or at 60, or at 65, we come to a place of despair. That life has no meaning, we're stuck in some naturalistic loop, and we can't get out, it's all fatalistic. And I gotta be honest with you, if that's all you look at, that's all you're going to see. We live, we die, we live, we die, and you're like, wow, that's depressing. And if that's all you're looking at, I'm telling you, it is very depressing. And we can just give over to that idea and begin smashing the clock. There's another way that we respond, and I think particularly in America. We stack the deck. What we begin to do is in order to find a sense of uniqueness, we begin to try to use life in a way that we can stack the deck that it makes me look good so that I can self-promote myself, so that I can make myself look good in front of other people, and so that I can have an advantage. Because if I can succeed over you, maybe, just maybe, if I can, you know, like I told you guys, you know, it's crazy, it gets into our heads. And, and, and one of the things I cried about with my pain was is that I can't mountain bike anymore. And I thought, I really thought that if I could mountain bike at 60, I would be better than every 60-year-old in the room. And I know you think, well, that is so vain and that's so stupid. And I'm telling you, it was vain and it was stupid. But that's what I was looking at. I'll stack the deck. You know, some of us stack the deck by making more money than other people, being more educated than other people. Mountain biking, education, and having money, it's not the problem. You know that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if it's the way that we get into our heads that we're going to make the authentic me, I just got to be true to myself, and I can become the best version of myself, and I'll do whatever it takes. You know, the, the, the creation story worked this way. And, and you can look at the creation story a lot of different ways. as poetry, history, and all this other way. But basically, we get this idea from it. It's that God creates a, creates a garden, and then God creates man, and then man gets put into the garden. But when we stack the deck, we work it this way. Man creates himself, man creates a garden, and then... We invite God on Sundays to come into our gar garden. And if God doesn't, if God doesn't offend us, uh, we'll let him stay. But otherwise, I will become the origin of myself, what, the best version of me, and I will do whatever it takes to stack the deck so that I can feel unique in a universe where the clock is going click, click, click. James 4.1 says this. He says, he's describing what's the problem with the world. He says, what causes quarrels and fighting among you? Why is it that uh, humans don't get along? Is it because God screwed up? He's like, no. Is it not this, that you, your passions are at war within you? You know, you're, you're trying to figure out what turns you on, what makes you feel good. 
And then what makes you feel good, this person may be opposed to. And so you're going to fight that person over what's, what's passionate inside of you. He said, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's like, you know, that's, that's the problem with humanity is that we're all these little autonomous beings trying to become the best version of ourselves, and guess what that puts us in opposition to? All the other autonomous little creatures on the world that are trying to become the best version of themselves, and they are in our way. And guess who else is in our way? God. But then there's a third response that we can have. It's to serve others' response, to participate in what God's doing with passion, to decide that instead of spending all my life trying to become the best version of me, instead of trying to stack the deck so life works out perfect for me, it's like I'm going to get involved in the life of other people. I'm going to find out what God wants to do. And we just got into God's head, remember. Isaiah told us about what God wants to do to help the poor, to help the broken, to help those who are in despair, those who are weighed down, those who, who are desperate to find meaning in life. He, he told us what's in his head. And, and so when we decide to participate in other people's lives, something different happens that the other two proposals don't give. And I, I kind of wondered, it's like, why does giving into another person's life or into what God's doing make a difference? I mean, because let me just tell you, the psychological uh, science on this proves that when you become involved in another person's life and you help another person, that somehow it psychologically reinforces your identity. I mean, it, it makes you happy. It's kind of like when you go on a treadmill and you come off and you get that little bit of endorphin buzz and God kind of built it into our physiology that if you actually work out, you get a little high. It's like, Cool. You know, I mean, I, I, don't mind, I don't mind a little buzz once in a while. And so it's like, you know, just make sure you get it on the treadmill. I mean, <laughs> I've tried the other things, but the treadmill, you feel a little good. But guess what? God built it into our psychology that when we give or are involved in another person's life, it seems to kind of make us feel different about life. And so Paul quotes Jesus in the book of Acts, verse 20. He says this, it is more blessed to give than receive. And I know that just sounds like a, it's, it's what preachers say before they take an offering. We are not taking an offering, okay? So don't worry, that is not the manipulation that's taking place here. But Paul discovers something that Jesus said that there is something that connects to humanity and the experience of humanity that improves when we give more than if we stack the deck to try to make life best for ourselves. And so I'm just sat and and tried to figure out the mechanism of this. Why does it work like this? And here's what I came up with. I, I'm not sure it's right. I think it sounds right. But so you just evaluate it for yourself because not everything I say is right. So in John 3.16, which is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And it's like, okay, so the only person who is not stuck in the timeline, the only transcendent being, wow, we're getting really into philosophy now, the only transcendent being in all of 
creation. The, somebody who's in it, but is also out of it at the same time. Imminent and transcendent. So good, good little phrases there. That it, the only is God. And it's like, huh. So he's figured out a way not to get stuck in the loop. Not really figured it out, but you know what I mean. So, so we're told that the very nature of God is to give, to give, to give, to give, to give. And so I began to think about it. It's like, you know, I, I would normally think more power, more strength, more influence, more control. That's what will produce the ability to transcend the cycle of humanity. And then we find out, no, it's God who gives, who gives, who gives, who gives. So the secret element that helps humanity transcend the despair of the timeline is giving. And the Apostle Paul says, it's better for you if instead of trying to stack the deck, instead of smashing the clock, that you discover the power of giving into another person's life. Because at that moment, you are more like God than, than the ape. See, naturalists can go on and find our common ancestry with, with the ape. And, and I don't know, I'm not, I'm not an anti-evolutionist at all. I mean, we could find commonality and, and, and all these different things and find genetic code that matches. And, and so we could go that direction. We could take a naturalistic direction and say, okay, I find co commonality with a snail. Okay, good. But is that the only place where we can find commonality? Can we find commonality somewhere else? And the Apostle Paul says it is more blessed for you to give than to receive. Why? Because at the moment that you give, you are now connected. You are now part of something that's outside of the timeline. Or we could put it Jesus' way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the moment of giving, heaven and earth are melded together in your act. You're like, dude, this sounds so mystical. <laughs> Darn right it is. It's amazing. And all of you know it. Because if you were just naturalistic beings on this world, not one of you would be complaining about the ouch in your knee. You would just accept it because that's what happens to homo sapiens. Homo sapiens hate each other. Homo sapien fathers leave their children. Homo sapien mothers, you know, whatever. I mean, why would we be upset about life? Why would we despair if we were just locked into a naturalistic system? Why is it when somebody gives something into my life, I all of a sudden feel like I have value? Because there is a way for us to see, yes, I am going to probably die in the next, within the next 25 years. I have only 25 Christmases left on this planet. I mean, I could actually figure out how many hamburgers I'm going to eat before I die, okay? And you know what that will lead to? Absolute despair. You know, that's all it will lead to. Or I can realize that greater is he who is in me than whatever is going on in the world around me. And that while I am here, I am also connected to a transcendent God who created the universe, who says, listen, hey, while everybody's staring at the clock, you're connected to something else. Whoever receives my son will not perish in the cycle of humanity and fatalism, but will have eternal life, and it can happen now. And I'll tell you what, in the middle of the hardest 
two months of my life, I am more in love with God, even though I am in more pain than I've ever been, I am more in love with heaven and less in love with the vanity of this world. And everybody knows it here. I'm one of the most vainest men that you could have ever met in your life. Why? Because I'm just like you. I'm trying to stack the deck to be the best-looking 60-year-old man. You know, I'm trying to stack the deck to have more money at the end of the time. I'm trying to stack the deck so I could be famous. And God's like, listen, boop, you know, you're hurting now, aren't you? Yeah. You're depressed now, yeah. That guy you were in love with, you're now thinking about killing him. Yeah. All right. Now we can do something in your life if you focus on me. Everybody here, I love you praying for my healing and continue to pray for my healing and I'll be praying for yours. But I don't want God to heal me one day before he cures me of the vanity that I have in my life. Because I would rather go into heaven with one bad eye than to have two eyes and perish in hell. That's a direct quote from Jesus. Good backs are overrated. A heart that knows God and sees what God's doing and contributes into another person's life Oh my God, I'm almost going to cry. I have not seen this truth. I have taught this truth, but I have not known this truth ever before in my life. And God wants you to know it. This will be the greatest Thanksgiving of my life. Not because it'll be a 28-pound turkey stuffed with chestnuts and, and all the wonderful trimmings that come with it. It is because I know that even in the midst of hardship, that there is a thankfulness that I am connected to something greater than myself. I don't have to stack, I don't stack the deck. I don't have to beat you anymore. I don't have to try to be pretty anymore, though this vest is rocking. <laughs> I can rest in the fact that if I can just be kind to you, if I can just show you a little bit of God's love, I sense I am connected to something greater than the clock. You know, as we move into this last moment, I have a lot more that I could tell you, but this one verse that I'll read, I know you have a lot of ideas on how you should face life and, and its meaning, but let me read you this one out of Proverbs 3, 5, and maybe it can be the one that you take into this moment of, of uh, where we let you just talk to God, that we kind of step out of this. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't, don't lean to your own understanding. I know if you're here and you're 25, I know you're, you feel brilliant, but you really don't know it all yet. At 60, I've discovered that I thought I knew it all, but I knew it all wrong. So allow God to reteach you in this moment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will bring healing to your body and refreshment to your vertebrae, to your bones, to your life, to your marriage, to your self-perception. It's not going and chasing of finding a better version of you. I know that seems to make sense. There's a way that seems right in the eyes of man. I know that seems to make sense, but God's saying, listen, don't lean to that. Trust in me. Follow me. 
and I will make your path straight. So as we enter into this moment, it's a moment of communion. It's a time of prayer. You can write something and pin it to the cross. Maybe right now you're, you're deciding, I need to connect with this transcendence. I mean, you're right, I'm angry. And now I realize that monkeys don't get angry about the future of humanity. That there must be something in me that was planted in me by God that is dissatisfied with the life I have. And I want to connect with something outside of the clock, something outside of the cycle. If Christ doesn't rise from the dead, Paul said, let us eat and drink and get drunk and be merry. For tomorrow we die because we're stuck. But if Christ has risen from the dead, I can be connected through giving into another person's life, through receiving Christ into my life and taking that transcendent quality and giving it to other people that I can be connected to something outside of the timeline, something about heaven itself. Father, as we enter into this moment with you, we thank you because I think you've spoken to every single one of us. You could not be nearer to me in this moment than you are at right now. And I thank you for it. Though my back is still crooked, though the clock is still running, that you have brought value and meaning and purpose into my life. And so God, I pray that you would help us see beyond the Titanic, see beyond the eventuality of the ship sinking, but God, that you would help us to see that Christ can be in us. We can be connected to you, that we can be seated with Christ in the heavenlies at this very moment, that we're part of something more than a naturalistic process. We're part of the love and the giving of God. So God, help us to receive that giving of God so that we can experience the blessing of giving into the life of other people. I invite you into this moment, whether it's staying in your seat and just thinking about this, whether it's communion, whether it's a time of prayer or pinning something to the cross or just praying with one of our pastors. Just for the next five minutes, connect with something beyond the timeline.